You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. Well, happy holidays from the PR Wind Down team. We're winding down from 2023 with our annual holiday special. So whether you're driving home from your family's house, warming up by the fire, or thinking through your resolutions for the new year, we're happy to join in the celebration. So pour some nog and kick back and relax as we welcome special guest Doug Spong to keep your spirits bright as we start off 2024. Let's get ready to wind down. I don't sound like I'm winding us down. I sound like I'm making us hyper. I'm winding you up. Okay, I'm going to let Doug in. So our favorite holiday guest is the one and only Doug Spong. His reputation precedes him, but here's a little bit about Doug for those of you who don't already know him. So he has an accreditation in public relations and is a PRSA fellow. He's the founder and CEO of the Doug Spong Company. And prior to founding that, he was the founder, president, and managing partner of Carmichael Lynch Spong, which is owned by Interpublic Group. And I actually worked with Doug, for those of you who also don't know. And he, well, not with, I, I worked for Doug. I did not work with Doug. I worked for Doug. <laughs> with. <laughs> no, you were, we worked with each other. Absolutely. <laughs> Though I was a young buck cutting my teeth in the industry, and he's been a big inspiration for me throughout my entire career. So very excited to have Doug with us today, and he is here to discuss his predictions and forecasts for the PR industry in the year ahead as we go into 2024, and also what brands and PR pros should have learned from 2023. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So we're excited. You're like the wisdom master of PR or something. Like, I think at one point, Veronica was like, he's like our PR Santa Claus that comes once a year. (laughs) 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 I'm the ghost from PR past. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're going to talk about PR present and PR future. future. I love it. It's it's so appropriate. Scrooge probably and all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Or the Grinch. (laughs) (laughs) that's right so let's let's uh hang up our chains here for a while jacob marley's chains and let's talk about uh, you know kind of 24 a little bit you know yeah let me back up even further you know when when i talk about trends i talk about trends with the work but i also talk about trends with the workplace and the two are obviously Mm. very connected you know one is we've all seen the growing confluence of social media and consumer interaction and data learning and artificial intelligence. And now, of course, as we get into not just AI, but generative AI, you know, old AI was like, hey, Siri, what's the weather going to do today? And Siri looks up, you know, some of the weather channel apps and, and tells you that. So, you know, generative AI is is interesting in that whether it's chat GPT and, and what we're seeing with some of the content that's being talked about and created from that. That is really, I think, going to explode a lot. The connection between workplace and the work is going to be, at what point do white-collar workers like the three of us 
suddenly start getting replaced in our jobs because you've got artificial intelligence that can do that. You know, if you think about back to the industrial age when automation kind of took over and it replaced people and, you know, robotics replaced people assembling cars on the assembly line. Well, that was kind of a blue collar thing at one point, And I think it's going to start a little bit into next year is you're going to start seeing because of the capability of generative AI, some of the content creation, some of the media mm. planning, some of the creative that's done, some of the uh, analytics work that's done by people in our business, well, that can be done by a machine at some point. And the second thing I think related to that is you might see actually more unionization, you know, organized labor coming out of that threat that automation, generative AI really poses mm. to our business. Sort of like and what they're already doing in the entertainment. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you saw with the screenwriters guild mm -hmm. um, and the actors on strike, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. what are they afraid of? The screenwriters are afraid of generative AI mm -hmm. taking away their, their business, their livelihood. And actors don't like what generative AI or AI can do in terms of augmented reality, looking at name image likeness. You know, Tom Hanks, we, we all saw the ad that I think it was a bank or somebody or I think an it was a de dental plan. Dental practice, that was it. <laughs> it. Took a lot of guts by a dental practice to suddenly steal, you know, the most <laughs> one of the most iconic actors of our generation, Tom Hanks, name, image, and likeness, and, <laughs> and turned it into a promotion <laughs> dental practice. Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> he won't mind. Nobody will know. It'll be That's fine. That's right. Yeah. So I don't think it, I, I think it's, it's, it's well within the realm of possibility that you might see professionals in our business start to organize. That's really interesting. I've also been worried about what happens if your clients, similar to, you know, how now if they rank really high in Google search findings for something they don't want to be known for, what happens if that suddenly becomes part of chat GPT and, you know, how right. do you push down findings and chat GPT with PR. That's right. That's even a thing you can do. You know, I mean, it, it introduces a whole nother level of crisis PR, right? Absolutely. It does. You know, right now you can kind of challenge some of the rank because it's, it's just old school artificial intelligence. Which right. Is, it's right. really, there was a piece on, I think it was 60 Minutes recently did on generative AI and they asked the question of who won the election. And, you know, based on all of the information and misinformation that's out there, sometimes the answer wasn't always Joe Biden. You know, sometimes the answer was, well, the election may have been stolen or something, because there are articles out there and people saying that it was stolen. So it, it, mm -hmm. it just consolidates a lot of information out there. I think, April, to your point, at some point, generative AI, when, when you get that true machine learning, is going to be able to sift through some of that and really form a human-like opinion on something mm -hmm. that feeds data and pushes maybe things up in feed that you don't want to be there and probably mm -hmm. is going to be not open to changing some of that uh, rank in terms of search. Right, right. And then I guess then the question becomes, are there powers that be that would be able to adjust the final outcome of those answers to yeah. have it be what they want it to be, right? Which is kind of to your point, like, oh boy, what does that world look like? Right, yeah. it's like Wikipedia on crack or something. It is, it is. Wow. And you know, our business is historically, when you think about 
how we work. In an agency, you might work with a large group of people, people who work in data analytics, they work in consumer insights, they work in research, they work in media planning and buying, they work in social, they work in creative, you know, art direction, copywriting, they work in media relations, they work, you know, all of this large team work that goes on. And then somebody has to sit down and write copy. Somebody has to sit down and look at the analytics on data to be able to try to interpret mm. that or look at somebody has to post content on a social channel. That can all be done by machine learning. That's to me is is the most kind of frightening but also interesting aspect to it. And so I think as we go forward into 24, we certainly ought to see what that does to all of us who work in you know white collar industry like mm -hmm. we are. The other workplace thing, it was just three years ago that all of us had our work kind of turned upside down because of the, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then as people have kind of recovered from that, we've gone from completely remote to hybrid work with a lot of allowance for working from home. I think, again, a trend going into 24, it goes from, you know, from remote to hybrid work to now it's going to be get your back to work. <laughs> and, and I'm serious about that. I am seeing more and more employers demand return to office. It's D-R-O-T. <laughs> you know, there's no kind of ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's this belief that you don't have true collaboration until people are back in an office and employees are still saying, look, they're used to that flexibility. They're used to that. I can work at 10 o'clock at night if I need to, because I want to go outside and play with my kid from five to seven in the afternoon. I think that's going to be real strain on relationships going into 24 between employer and employees a little mm. bit. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. Right. Both on the PR front and even just on behalf of clients that we are representing that are going to be demanding employees return and then any backlash right. that comes from it kind of thing, right? It does. And and mm -hmm. and what clients demand of their agencies and representatives. Yeah. April, we've talked about something similar to that when we talked about the four-day work week, you know, idea that's sometimes put out there and they tested it in London and stuff. And I remember you saying, until my clients go to a four-day work week, I can't as an agency go to a four-day work week. Until, that's right. Sorry, client, I'm never there. on Nobody in this agency is available on Friday ever. So Yeah, yeah. that's going to win the RFP. Like, what? Like Yeah, right. Uh, do you think, Doug, that there could be one answer or one way? There's going to mm -hmm. be, like, different types of companies, you know, and certain people will gravitate towards some and certain will gravitate towards others or something. That's right. You know, we, we went through kind of the great resignation period about 18 months ago or so, and that kind of died off. And I also think what I'm hearing from agencies that, that I work with, at least, is that they're seeing pressure from clients on spending right now. You know, that clients are being much more cautious, a little bit hesitant. They're not approving as much as fast as as they did maybe a couple of years ago when things were recovering really fast. Mm -hmm. Let's quick yeah. get back up to speed after the pandemic again. Spend, spend, spend. You know, now it's 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 much more cautious. And so at the same time, number of opportunities to shift from one employer to another are probably going to cool off a little bit into 24. And so I don't know that we'll see the turnover you know, the high attrition rate that that we've had in the last couple of years um, mm -hmm. going into 24. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be important for professionals to be really picky about who they're working for going into next year. 
and making sure that they're aligning what's important to them. And I, and I think at the same time, most good employers today are especially focused on the well-being of their staff, you know, the emotional well-being, the mm-hmm. mental health well-being of, of their staff. Yeah, but I guess definitely. I think we're going to have that, that tug of war a little bit, which is going to strain that, that relationship. Yeah. Question for you about kind of as a follow-up to what you mentioned about clients being hesitant on spends and things like that, which I've definitely seen myself, even on the prospecting side, it's like come back to November, December, because then we'll know if we've got budget for 2024. Right. So it was a lot of like from summer on people saying, I don't, we don't have budget now, but check with me for 2024. Right. So it's been a lot of that. So the question for you, how do you tell people, how do you coach people to get through this weird downswing where suddenly PR is definitely being put on the back burner. Let's say that, right? Yeah. yeah. In terms of spends. It's two things. One is, you know, stay focused on what you're great at as a Mm -hmm. firm. You know, I I think that's the most important thing is to really not try to step too far outside of your areas of expertise. So kind of focus on that and, and kind of related to it. But the second thing is be picky about the clients that you you work with in that area. You know, so if you have an expertise that you as a firm are really great at, find deserving clients. And I think that's the key. Find deserving clients mm-hmm. that can afford that level of expertise. You know, don't go chasing every quarter that goes rolling down the street or what I used to call squirrel hunting. You know, you know, for people who like to hunt, squirrel hunting is, oh, you know, they're kind of twitchy and and fun to shoot at, but there's not a lot of meat on the bone. So, you know, don't go out and squirrel hunt, go after the things that really can make a difference. So I, Mm -hmm. I would rather see firms and, and, and practitioners who would have fewer, but the more right type of clients. You know, versus mm-hmm. a volume of clients. And I think that'll help kind of eliminate a lot of the window shoppers that are out there. You know, the tire kickers for clients that are, yeah, come back to me in the fall and I might be interested then. Or, <laughs> you know, these RFPs that never go anywhere and, you know, you follow up, you follow up and there's no answer. And it's the review that ends up going nowhere. It's a, it's a, it's a rabbit hole that you've kind of followed down. So totally. You want to stay out of that. I'd rather see you win one or two great pieces of business than go chasing after 10 different things that, you know, nine of them never come to fruition. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I love that. (laughs) Do you you have something that you normally tell clients when they're getting hesitant on PR spends, you know, Mm -hmm. monologues up your sleeve that you bring out to try (laughs) to like calm them down? Well, you know, it, you know, I have no silver bullet for it, but any business that's going to do well, especially in a, in a downturn, it's kind of like investing. You know, we've all grown mm-hmm. up hearing the old, you know, buy low, sell high type of thing. And a little bit of an economic downturn is an opportunity for clients and brands to gain market share, enhance a reputation, actually improve their profit along the way. But the way that you do that is you do have to make sure that, you know, the client understands the brand is, is where it's all about mm. or the corporate reputation is where it's all about. And so to me, that investment in what we provide is where you're really going to see that payoff so that 
you come out of that, nobody seems to be able to agree, are we going to have a recession or not? You know, people 10 months ago said, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, no doubt we're going to be in a recession this year. Remember that? To now mm-hmm. they're all saying, no, no, we don't see that coming at all. Nothing on the horizon. So I'm not an economist. I don't, I don't predict that stuff. All I know is, you know, we are a little bit of the canary in the coal mine as an industry because we're Very discretionary much. spend. And yes. so when things get tight, when people get skittish, they just, ah, I'm going to put that thing on hold. And even if they don't cut it all together, all they have to mm-hmm. do is hit the pause button. Mm-hmm. And that has repercussions on our business, obviously in the agency business, mm-hmm. when a client hits pause, you know, we're left in limbo. We're holding on to staff. We've got programs that we've committed to whatever it is. So Oh yeah, it's crazy making. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what do you do when you get that call me, you know, call me at the beginning of the year, we'll see. What do you do, April? Oh God. I mean, it it depends on who it is. In some cases, because we work with some startups and early stage companies, in some cases they're waiting for funding to land. And you know how that is. And so it could happen tomorrow. It could happen in 10 years or it could happen never. I mean, so there's a lot of just sort of like, Hey, just check in and see how the fundraising is going. Right. <laughs> a lot right. of that, a lot of that. And in other cases, I mean, if they are just hesitant on the spend and they need proof of the ROI, that's where it also becomes sort of a dance back and forth. Because as you know, the ROI and PR is very fuzzy by comparison to other marketing tactics. So yeah. it's it's a lot harder for them to justify to the bookkeepers and their executive team or the board member, whoever it is, investors, et cetera, et cetera, right? If I can ever crack that code. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sure you I'm sure you like beat your head against the wall on that one too for a while, but Well, you know, and then we had this great hope of data analytics. Data was, you know, it was going to answer that question for clients, you know, once and for all. And I know. And I I like data analytics, but it isn't there yet. It still hasn't answered that question. And maybe someday it will. But, you know, at one point you have, again, it goes back to the quality of the client. You have to have a client that's a true believer. A great client is both the organization itself, you know, the brand and the brand name and the, and the kind of the panache of representing, you know, that particular brand name. But it's also the individual clients that you've got, the people that you mm-hmm. work with, people that hire you. And what's their ability to go fight for funding internally on yeah. your behalf? What kind of a interpersonal relationship do you enjoy with them in terms of, you know, trust, respect, admiration? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, those are very important things. So when I think about great clients, it's a combination of not just great brand names. Here I am 42 years into my career, and I, I can tell you, I'm still friends with so many former clients over I the years, that. you know, that, that you've come to love and respect. And yeah. that's That makes a great client. And so I think that is what we should all, you know, aspire for. Yeah. So the good New Year's resolution. Yes, it is a good new year, you know, and have the guts to walk away from a client that isn't that. Yeah. That that brings you down, brings your people down, doesn't want to pay for great work, can't make a decision, isn't respected internally in their own client organizations, you know, and you have a hard time respecting them as well. Yeah. It feels good to fire a client once in a while. It really does. (laughs) I, um, I had a client opportunity not that I was definitely getting it, but I was, you know, in the, in the mix 
I have such a hard time saying no when somebody's like, hey, I'm going to give you money. I'm going to hire you to do this. But it does feel good afterwards. And then you're like, oh, wow, yep. I can't even believe I was considering that. Oh, yeah. Because then what happens sometimes, and it happened luckily, that another opportunity came along that I would have rather done anyway. So it all worked out, right? So you always right. got to think about, it's a little woo-woo, right? A little, but like if I take all these things <laughs> that I don't really want to do to fill up all my time, then there's not there's, a there's space. No space. Right. Yeah. That's right. You know, yeah. and my my longtime partner, Lee Lynch, uh, April, you remember Lee? What of course, of course. He gave me this little urn and it was a ceramic urn and on the outside it says ashes of problem clients. And so after all the years in the business, I only have burned two contracts that the ashes are still sitting in there, which I, I think is pretty that. good. You know, two really you not bad clients, but they're in there. We had a lot of fun burning a couple of those contracts <laughs> with the team. <laughs> the team was very, Did you do very a bonfire? Grateful. How did you do this? We just set the, it literally, we took the contract, set it aflame and just put the ashes in the little urn. And, and we all, you know, everybody stood up, clapped. We, we got rid of that client. But, oh, funny. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Funny. Well, speaking of out with the old, is there anything from 2023 that we should have learned from as we go into the new year? Ah, the old ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, here. it's back. It's back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm we bringing it about, full circle. We talked about future. You know, yeah, I, I, I do think the biggest thing is, you know, the kind of the changing social trends right now. You know, here we have in this last year, again, Elon Musk is kind of a good example of it, is how he has woven a social and political influence in his platform. Yeah. Twitter. Now it's branded as X. He paid $44 billion for this huge platform that now is worth probably half of that. You know, and so he took something that in our business was a very important and very practical tool for how we go to market with clients mm -hmm. and build a rapport and relationship with, with consumers and employees. And now when he's, you know, inserted a lot of the political and social the anti-wokeness of X now, according to Elon, yeah, you know, that, that enters a different thing. And so how politics is, and social has kind of woven into that. And that I think has been the biggest thing in 2020, for me, for 2023, mm, yeah. to see how brands kind of navigate, you know, that very slippery slope. He also talked today, I saw about turning it into like a dating app or something now. X oh, is, is that right? Be, yes. X is going to be a dating app in a year. <laughs> <laughs> really i missed that up. yeah literally that was i feel like it's a, today. i feel like that's a celebrity it was gonna be a bank thing. and then i was gonna be a dating app all right well <laughs> i think that's a perfect segue to ask doug if he will stay on with us to read the horror story yep, no go ahead okay so we are gathering around the fire to unwrap a horrifying tale and we saved it for this holiday eve so here's the story for the week and we're happy to leave this one in 2023 you ready, Doug? I am. Hi, Pierre Windout. The horrors just keep on coming with this one, so it's a little long, but here we go. I've been in PR for over a decade, long enough that most of my clients and junior colleagues can say, oh, this dude knows what he's talking about. I take pride in my work, and I try to do it right, so I have this client that I've been working with for like six months. 
They're brand new to PR and they're in a pretty niche area of the beauty slash tech space. Think like those LED anti-aging masks, et cetera. So they had this big product announcement coming up. I had to go PR 101 on them to explain that we could either pitch this under embargo or as an exclusive. I explained the pros and cons of both approaches. And since there's still a lesser known company in the space, we decided to go the embargo route. So I started pitching to our top media targets to start. And almost immediately, I hear back from one publication that I've worked with numerous times before. Hi, I really love this. Would you consider giving me the exclusive instead? Mm. This is a first for me. Three other publications said yes to the embargo and asked for the press release, which I do not send yet, given the unusual circumstances with the inbound exclusive request. I go back to the client. I explain that this is highly unusual, but they were dying to get into this one publication. So they asked me to accept the exclusive opportunity. In the spirit of transparency, I got back to the other publications with an honest and direct response, telling them the circumstances have changed, that I'll not be able to share the news until next week, but I'd be happy to grant an interview and product trial if they want to cover the news at that point. Two of the reporters left me on read, and one responded with a scathing email. It's too long to include verbatim, but the SparkNotes version is, you're a terrible publicist, and this is wildly outside of ethics and best practices. You'll never work with this publication again, and I'll make sure of it because I just sent your email to everyone in this newsroom to let them know how you operate. Yikes. Ah. Uh, oh. I was ouch. so, ouch. I was so embarrassed and have never been accused of being unethical in my entire career. I thought that was the end of it, but the reporter is part of a social media page I belong to for media professionals, et cetera. And the reporter decided to put me on blast there in the group. They didn't mention me by name, but they did one of those classic PR pro effed up. And this is why journalists hate working with you notes that used to exist mostly on Twitter. So I'm watching as the entire group, like dozens of people, many of whom are my colleagues, pile on in the replies about what a horrible PR person must have done this. It Mm. even appeared in a Reddit thread and in a Discord server that I'm part of for marketing and PR people. So in my little corner of the PR world, it basically went viral. So for like a week, I watched a bunch of my professional contacts berate me in public without knowing it was me. And I decided not to say anything. Mm. I did what I thought was best for my client. And ultimately their product launch generated a ton of great coverage and they were incredibly happy. But I feel like the online culture of PR shaming can be so toxic and it felt like a rerun of some high school bullying nightmare where this reporter was my own personal Regina George or Biff Tannen or that big kid from a Christmas story or something. Question for you. How do I get past this? Mm. Ah, good question. Here you have an, an example of do I embargo? Do I offer exclusivity? To me, it felt like there was a choice made to embargo because that was the initial outreach. And you had several you know, several media outlets agree to those terms. And then when you had, of course, the one that you really, the client really wants to hit in suddenly is asking for the exclusive. I think that practitioner should have stuck with the strategy. You know, the plan all along was we, we talked about the, the, the benefits of both embargo and exclusivity. Mm-hmm chose to go the embargo route. To me, 
they should have stuck to that plan. The, the practitioner should have stayed with that. So then the question becomes, okay, how do I fix this? I mean, I understand. I, I was I was turning red. You know, my ears were hot. Just think, as you read this scenario, it was like, yeah. Oh, I mean, no, he put yeah. himself in kind of a pickle, and I don't know how much pressure the client put on for agree to mm -hmm. the you know to the major mm -hmm. media outlet and take back take back the embargo, basically. Mm -hmm. The only way I think you can go back and fix it is, first of all, you're going to have to understand maybe there are going to be some reporters and editors who are not going to accept your apology, and they may truly ban you from working with them again. But there will be others that I think you can go back and say, I put myself in an awkward position. I made the wrong choice. I did this. And I want you to know that you know, I've learned from this uh, going forward. I'm going to be crystal clear. If if we choose to embargo, we're going to embargo. If we choose to offer an exclusive, it is an exclusive. But I think among those that truly this PR practitioner has a relationship with, and it's just a handful of people that matter to them, mm -hmm. go back and just have a conversation with them and say what happened, share it, say I've learned from it. Um, and what you might do differently going forward and that you hope you maintain a great relationship with those mm -hmm. people. You know, you can embargo work and you can offer, you know, kind of category exclusivity. So you can totally. have, you know, we're going to have this, you yep. know, this print partner, we're going to have this online partner, we're going to have this broadcast, broadcast partner yeah. and, you know, on this social channel, you know, yeah. so you can have that. But I've always been upfront with the media about that. So if I'm, you know, if I'm offering an exclusivity and I'm asking you to embargo it on a certain date, I'm going to be upfront if I'm saying, okay, you don't have a problem if I give this story to somebody completely outside of your space. Right. And every time I've ever done that, they say, oh yeah, no problem. As long as nobody's breaking it before me and, and you're giving me exclusivity in this category, mm -hmm. um, I'm good with it. Give it to, give it to everybody else outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, it's all great advice. And the other thing is this will go away soon. People will forget about it. You know, mm -hmm. that's the nice thing about the internet. It's it's like, you know, we were talking about search feed at some point in that kind of virtual search feed that we all find ourselves in when we're in that news cycle, mm -hmm. you will fall off that, you know, first page of search feed. In other words, people will forget what was done and they'll quit complaining about Oh, look what this PR person did. You know, they they took back the embargo and they gave it to somebody else. And that's so unethical. That will die off. Yeah. I would have yeah. gone back to the reporter who said, can I have an exclusive? And I know like this is not possible because it's already happened. And I would yeah. have said, no, but will you run something anyway? Because I, yeah. you know, have offered this right. to other people. And, you know, maybe they'll say no. And maybe then maybe you could come up with some aspect that is exclusive but not the whole thing that's what right. i was thinking too like is there would there have been a happy medium where they right they gave an exclusive interview or like there's some exclusive angle that they were going to give part of the this product one. uh yeah or yeah i mean what you can do is you can go out of your way to facilitate all of the upfront information so that mm -hmm. yes it's embargoed but I can schedule you to interview the key people involved in this. I can provide you, you know, tell me what additional detail or information that you might need. I can get that to you. Right. So the we'll give you a is, a, is a day and a time. Yeah. But all of the work that leads up to that, what you can do is you can work very hard with that one publication you really right. want. 
Yeah, and give them something extra special. Yeah, until, that's, until that's what they should have done. Yeah, that would be better. Yeah, would be better. Yeah, because yep. then they might have been able to keep all of the things and get into the dream publication plus the other three, right? But I do have to say that what the reporter who put this person on blast, that's a little nuts. Yeah. I mean, to yell at mano a mano, that's one thing. But Mm -hmm. to put it in platforms and, you know, create this viral thing. I mean, I could tell you there's definitely more than one reporter who has reneged on an exclusive with me and didn't show up and didn't, you know, do the interview or never ran the story or whatever. Am I going to go around like telling the world that they're, you know, this horrible thing happened? Like, no, their life is too short. And if you're putting negative stuff out there, you're just going to get more negative stuff back. And all the PR people who jumped on the bandwagon are full of crap because they might do the same thing one day too. And that maybe annoys me more than anything else. And everybody's like, oh my God, I can't believe they want to be on the side. They want to be like on the the special car with the reporter. And I think that's gross too. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Should I tell you what I really think? <laughs> All I right. Really, I don't like that, you know, group attack. Yeah, it, it's kind of a mob mentality. Right. You know, somebody starts throwing the first stone and next thing you know, everybody's picking up stones. and the Everybody's you know. full of crap, man. Yeah, yep. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, any, any final thoughts on how this person can get past this before we move on? As I said, just reach out, you know, to the reporters that matter to them. And to me, that that only enhances somebody's reputation. If they're, you know, strong enough to stand up and say, you know what, I'm the one taking the stones here. Right. I'll be vulnerable. And uh, to me, I'd respect that person more. Yeah, I would too. I would too. It take, and it takes guts to be humble like that it's very courageous to just come out and admit Mm -hmm. to a mistake and take your lumps and apologize and hope it lands well it shows the sensitivity how careful people have to be with offering an exclusive Mm -hmm. versus embargoing well these things happen oh that's the only thing i'll you know we're all human we all and and i think the most important thing i would tell this person is pick yourself up keep going and just learn and you know you'll never forget this lesson, right? So my dad always says, well, you know, you pay for an education and you pay for an education. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't matter which way you pay, but you're going to pay. So right. as long, as long as you learn and you keep going and like, you know, that's, yes. that's the most anybody can ever ask of anyone. We're not, yeah. we're not in a life and death uh, profession here. Also. We are not. Nobody died. Nobody died. Nobody died. And, and, and we do learn from the painful lessons, you know, so much. There's we a do. lot to that. We do. Yeah. And, you know, he can always just have other people send pitches to those publications. <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, Doug, any parting thoughts before we let you go? I know we've kept you way over, but it's been such a delight. Oh, no, 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 no. I, you know, it's fun to be on for the holiday special and looking forward to 24. I, you know, I think it, it has a lot of opportunity. It'll, it'll come with some challenges, but you know, that's why they need us. Right. As, as my that's mom right. used to say, honey, that's why they call it work. <laughs> Not <laughs> oh, always so, easy. That is so right. Midwestern. My dad says that too. That's why they call it work. Cause it's work. That's why they call it work. Yeah. <laughs> my dad says busy hands are happy hands. Yes, they are. 
you know that. Oh gosh, oh, God bless the Midwest. All right. <laughs> Except All right, he well, says Doug, it like with pure sarcasm. Of course, I wonder how sarcasm is good. Apple and tree and all that, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Doug. Well, it's so good having you. We wish you Great all the best be for the beginning of 2024 and, and look forward to having you again soon. Thank you. All right. Okay. Happy holidays. Enjoy, happy holidays. Enjoy warm Florida. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for the PR Windown Podcast Holiday Special. And thank you to Doug for joining us, as always, for a phenomenal interview. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share our show with your friends and colleagues. And if you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will help us reach new listeners like you. Happy holidays from the PR Wind Down team. We can't wait to wind down with you again next mm. year. Year. <laughs> I punctuated two words. I, I thought <laughs> you did the hip hop punch. <laughs>